Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Agile for Humans is brought to you by audible.com. Get one free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, and Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson. Visit www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile to enjoy your free audiobook today. Processes and tools dominate today's agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me tonight, Aaron Griffith. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Aaron, you're new to the to the Agile for Humans podcast, although we've met at conferences and that. Our audience may not be familiar with you. Can you give them a little bit of background about who you are, uh, what kind of work you do, and what kind of things that are of interest to you? Sure. Uh, I've been in, involved in technology probably for about 15 years. I started out uh, doing QA and testing, and I've been transitioning into development roles. I sort of cut my teeth in a lot of waterfall environments and eventually sort of fell into Scrum and some Agile stuff. And once I was there, I just sort of fell in love and knew I had found the right way to do things. So currently, I'm working at, the, at Hunter Industries with the Hunter Mob 
uh, I worked with Woody Uzul. He was there. I also worked with Woody at uh, another uh, employer. I love Agile and I love Star Wars. And that's what really, you give this talk. It's a combination of Star Wars and Agile and the Rebel Alliance versus the Empire and, and which characters are Agile and which aren't. And It's the Agile Manifesto and the Star Wars universe. And it's pretty much as you described it. It takes uh, the clauses of the Agile Manifesto and uses examples from the movies to sort of illustrate those, as well as talking about some of the Agile principles as well. So what would be an example of individuals and interactions over processes and tools manifesting itself in a Star Wars universe? So for individuals and interactions, that, that one's kind of really broad for as far as what the Rebels do, because... You know, they're the heroes and they're all about individuals and the interactions and this is the story of Anakin Skywalker and, you know, is his sort of fall to the dark side and redemption in the end. And for the Empire, in, in my mind, they're sort of the antithesis of individuals and interactions just because their entire army is made of clones. So there's, there's really not much room for individuals or interactions, I think, in the clone army. So that's sort of the individuals and interaction side. And as far as process and tools, well, for that one, I, I really sort of give the Empire a hard time about that because <laughs> they, have, they have all the cool tools. I like to call them toys because for me as a kid, I, I had all the toys, the Imperial Walker and all the action figures. So they had lots of, lots of tools, Death Stars, Star Destroyers, TIE Fighters, uh, torture droids, interrogation droids. So that's kind of how I present it in the talk. So even with all those toys, they could not overcome the more agile rebellion in the end. That's true. That's right. I kind of like to think of it. You know, and, and my thinking on this has, has sort of changed as I've been doing the talk. Because when I first started the talk, it was more just like, you know, the, the rebels are, are agile and the empire's waterfall. But I've been thinking about it more, and I'm like, you know, there's the Empire got a couple of things right. You know, they, the MVP, you know, minimum viable product for the Death Star in Return of the Jedi, which I would say is the, the weaponry, was, you know, was fully operational. So they got that working. Red Rebels, they sort of fail a little bit in that area just, just because of the Millennium Falcon and all the problems with the hyperdrive they have. In that case, thin slicing may not have been a good thing for the Falcon. Yeah. Or no, actually, I think what would, what would apply there is technical debt limited their ability to move forward. That's true. Yeah, I think that fits, that fits there. And I always use the example of you know, technical excellence. They, they had a little room for improvement with their technical excellence on the Millennium Falcon. Seems like they tried to bake uh, quality in at the end, and we know that that just doesn't work. Right. That never works. <laughs> So this, I can see how this would be a fun talk, just going off in a thousand different directions. Yeah. And then the, the, one of the, my favorite lines from my talk is, you know, and, and I think it's the second time that the hyperdrive fails on the Millennium Falcon, and Han Solo says, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. But the thing that developers usually say when they have problems or defects in their software is, it works on my machine. <laughs> but he can't even say that because it is his machine and it doesn't even work. So that always makes me chuckle. That's, that's right. No, that's a good one. I'm trying to think what would be another fun moment to try to express in agile terms. So I guess what are some of the other examples that you use, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your talk? Actually, I, I mean, I w I'd like to talk about some of the things that I don't get to talk about in the talk that I'd love to. Sure. But just because I run out of time, I don't get to 
talk about those things. And one of those things is, if you sort of think of the movies, like, you know, episode four, five, and six, and I, I don't know if we should talk about this, but there's probably going to be some spoilers in, in this podcast. So, if, <laughs> Spoiler alerts for Star Wars, right? right. If you have so, seen the movie released in 1976, uh, this is a spoiler alert. We're going to give away some of the plot line uh, for, you know, this... Uh, 40-some-year-old movie. Right. So I, I always say that at the beginning of the talk, and and I know there's always a few Agile purists that get upset when I mention episodes one, two, and three, but... <laughs> those Hey, those don't exist. Right. I, I try to limit the, the content I use from those movies. But as far as, like, looking at episodes four, five, and six, I sort of think, you know, if you think about the forming, storming, and norming, you know, episode four, they're sort of forming, you know, they're sort of putting their team together. And then in episode five, Empire Strikes Back, I mean, you know, they just get their clock cleaned by the Empire. But then by episode six, they're starting to figure things out and they get it all turned around and have the happy ending that we, we all expect. Now, for the kids out there, episode four is A New Hope. Epi- episode five is Empire Strikes Back and episode six is Return of the Jedi. Correct. That could be confusing to some. And I think in Empire Strikes Back, which is actually my favorite, yep, I think that is, too. to me, that's the best of the three. Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking about that. There's a couple of things in the movie that sort of make me think about that consultant-client relationship. And the one that stands out for me, it's not the one with Boba Fett, although that is a good example, is the one I think of is that scene after uh, Luke turns himself in on Endor. And this is actually from Return of the Jedi. And he's, he meets Darth Vader, and they're on the elevator going up. And I, I imagine that sometimes that's what, like, the consultant is when he's meeting the customer for the first time. Absolutely. And they're taking that elevator up. But then, and then I flip it, and I'm like, well, but depending on your perspective, who's, who's the consultant and who's the client, you know? You know, because sometimes I imagine that the consultant comes across as Darth Vader, but then I imagine sometimes, you know, the client sometimes comes across as, as Darth Vader. So it, d- it just depends on your perspective. Yeah, I think it's an interesting look at, at kind of the role of the consultant and the contractor and how they could be viewed. And it's kind of fun to, to wrap it around the Star Wars themes. And I'd imagine this is, a, this is a talk that a lot of people enjoy. I'm sure you're getting a ton of good feedback on this one. Yeah, I, I've gotten good feedback on it and it, it kind of surprised me when I first got the feedback. I, at first, I just did it because I thought it would be fun and interesting, and I didn't really think it would catch on. But And the feedback that, that really sort of kept me going was was, for, was from people that were new to Agile, and they said, I didn't really understand it, but after seeing your talk, it sort of made it more digestible. It made it more understandable, and now I sort of get it. So those are, those are the people that I, I really like to appeal to. The parallels are, are pretty distinct, too. The, the Empire is clearly command and control. Yes. The hierarchies are, are obvious. There is a, a structure. There's, there's some of the pressures. I think when, uh, when Vader visits the Death Star in... Beginning of in, episode six. And they have to double their efforts. Right. Yeah, the, right? that's a fantastic scene for the dysfunction edition of buzzword bingo. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that scene has always stuck in my head as that's how I felt on death marches. Uh, the boss shows up and says, "Well, this is the day you need to double your efforts, or else, hey, my boss is going to come and he's not nearly as forgiving as I am." Yeah. 
So the, the parallels are just, I think they're all over the place. If you really think through the movies and, and what they're doing, even the hero's journey of Luke Skywalker at the beginning of episode four, going from a farmer to destroying the Death Star at the end, I think that's how a lot of people feel making the transition to Agile. You know, I, I like to think of it as sort of an Agile transformation. And if you think of maybe Luke Skywalker as the, the consultant who was leading that up, to be able to put on your resume that you were responsible for the Agile transformation of the Galactic Empire, you know, that's, that's a pretty big bullet point. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if actually Ben Kenobi was the scrum coach or the Agile coach. And at, at, at a certain point, Vader decides it's time for him to stop coaching and the team's left on their own to, to self-organize through the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that works. Ben Kenobi got fired in a brutal way, and, uh, yeah, he got and the Rebels had to, Re- Rebels had to, to rally and, and recover and, and come together and win. So, Yeah, ben, ben Kenobi got laid off. <laughs> hey, but somehow he gets to come back every once in a while. Like, you know, so like some of our, our friends who leave but get to visit every once in yeah. a while. I, always, I make that joke in the talk about you know the importance of face-to-face communication and how uh, Luke was even able to face-to-face with the apparition of his you know dead mentor. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they had Skype in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, and I, there's actually I make a little reference to that in the talk too. Am I, I'm stealing. I guess I'm stealing all your jokes. I know. I feel like I know. I know you've told me you haven't seen the talk, but you're you're hitting on a lot of the things I cover. So that's cool. <laughs> I honestly have not seen it. The other thing with <laughs> with layoffs that I think about, and I was just thinking about this today actually, is if you think of of Darth Vader or Anakin Skywalker as sort of the cut guy, you know, the guy who's responsible for laying everyone off. Think about what he did to the Sand People. You know, he massacred all those Sand People, and they could be considered like a massive layoff of the Sand People. <laughs> and then at the end of, I guess it was episode three, when he slaughters all the, the Jedi, you know, that's another round of layoffs where he sheds blood. Man, he's just, he likes to, he's cutting headcount. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm really torn on Vader, though, because I feel like deep down inside, he's really, he's really very agile. And that he just, a lot of us, you know, he started out as a young Anakin, and he made... C-3PO. He built C-3PO and he did it iteratively. You know, in the beginning, C-3PO just looks like it's got wires hanging out and looks like junk. Looks like just like a little hobby project. But then later on, you know, we get the fully functional C-3PO that's gold-plated and everything. And he does that with his pod racer too. So, you know, he was agile at one point and then, you know, like I think what happens to a lot of people, you know, you get out of college and you just want to get that first job and, you know, he ended up at the wrong place and sort of just... It wasn't really what he wanted to be doing, but, you know, it was something he ended up doing. And then by the end, you know, he realized, you know, he adapted, inspected and adapted and realized things weren't really the way they should be. And, you know, threw his boss down the elevator shaft. (laughs) There's there's got to be hundreds of listeners right now just quietly clapping. (laughs) That's right. That's how it went. And then he just threw his boths down the elevator shaft. That's excellent. Yeah, because yeah, at some point, you know, you, we, we've all been there. You're like, you've just had it. You're like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm sick of this. Let's do something else. <laughs> I'm so sick of this job. This quick, someone tell me where an elevator shaft is. <laughs> Any other comments on that talk? This thing with Darth Vader has really sort of been bothering me lately because I feel like there could be a whole talk about him because, you know, he's sort of made out, you know, to be the villain and 
waterfall and all that. But you know, he was he, he did testing too. You know, when they blew up Alderaan in the beginning, that was actually a test of of the new Death Star. And when he's gonna try and carbon freeze Luke Skywalker, which didn't actually happen, but he tested it first. So he had a test-driven approach. He tested it on Han Solo. So there's little things that Darth Vader was doing that I think he was, you know, he was really an agile-minded person. Yeah. So the the Alderaan test was so the acceptance criteria was total annihilation. Yes. <laughs> and he got. And the the acceptance criteria on the carbonite chamber was uh, the guy doesn't die. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> these are brutal tests. These are these are rough. And then I guess when Ben Kenobi, I'm trying to think like when Ben Kenobi hears the, you know the the cry of a thousand voices, you know when Alderaan gets destroyed, the disturbance in the forest. I'm like, is that like the cry of a thousand testers, you know, over the misuse of a test? You know, I don't know. Is that when thousands and thousands of of lines of code get thrown over the yeah. over the wall at the uh, the day before release, and that's the the <laughs> that's the cry of a thousand testers, and then suddenly silence. Right. Yeah, or the fact that the only test was done was was that one, and there was no testing prior to that. No, it's good. I like it. I think this is fun. Now you got to figure out too at the end of the year what this new movie does to your talk. Yeah, and I didn't plan the talk with any with anything with the new movies in mind. It just it's been fortunate that the new movies are coming out, and so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing them. The thing I'm really afraid of though is I'm not going to be able to enjoy the movies just for the movies. I'm going to be too busy looking for agile things in them or waterfall things and trying to think about the talk and, and how I can make it work. So we'll see what happens. I'm really looking forward to the new the new movies. Yeah, I, I'm kind of worried, though. It's going to take an Indiana Jones twist, like the, the most recent one being awful, and then your childhood just kind of cries a little bit. Yeah. To go back to Vader for a minute, I he's really the uh, the fallen hero. And he is a fascinating character. You know, starts out young and ambitious, gets lured and, and deceived and, and tricked, uh, does some things he really didn't want to do, uh, gets stuck, you know, kind of gets stuck in a role, into a position, and then has a, an, a, has a reason. You know, his son shows up and finally snaps out of it. And I think that's it's actually a common progression for a lot of careers. It's actually kind of sad that that I think people would identify with, with his rise, fall, and then redemption. Yeah. But I think it also parallels very well with, you know, the path of a, of a, a project manager to an agile coach or scrum master. Because I think most people who start off in that project manager role want to do good things. They want to, to deliver good work. They want to bring value to their organization. They go down that, that path of working in, those command and control structures, they have to do some things at times that they don't want to do. You know, go tell the developers to work every weekend until the project's done or, or tell everyone we're now working from 6 in the morning until 10 at night and all those abusive practices that we all kind of, we don't like but we ignore at times. And then something happens and whether it's going to a conference and seeing how an agile world could be, if it's reading a book, watching a YouTube video, something happens that sparks an inciting incident in that person and all of a sudden they make the change. They want to make the transformation to an agile coach, a scrum master, and really value individuals and interactions and, and working software and collaborating with people and responding to change. And it seems like there is some redemptive value 
in that switch from project manager to scrum master. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like um, at the end there, you know, at the end of episode six there, you know, before that, Vader's all about, you know, the force and, and dominating and controlling people. But then that final scene there, you know, he sort of realizes about the individuals, the individuals being him himself and his son and the interactions and the fact that, you know, he wasn't really there for those interactions. And this was, he, I think he realized his last chance to sort of make things right. And then, you know, he took advantage of it. I just, I really like the way how you framed these agile practices and, and values and, and principles all around the, the Star Wars universe. Definitely a fun topic. I, I have to, I'm going to, I'm going to start stalking your, your coaching or your speaking schedule so I can actually get out to see it or you're going to have to record it. Yeah, I, I'm going to eventually, I'm going to, I've recorded it one time, but uh, I want to get an, a good recording and eventually put it out there. Hopefully, I don't know, in the next six months or so, we'll see. We also finally had the chance to meet in person. I think prior to uh, Agile Coach Camp 2015, you know, you and I are active on the No Estimates discussion. We've, uh, we have fought some battles and we've, um, not against each other, always with each other, uh, in, in agreement most of the time, but, you know, very active on that, on that, uh, hashtag, a lot of it messages going back and forth. And so we hadn't really met in person until this year out in Washington, DC, where we were able to spend a little bit of time just hanging out and really enjoying a great conference that, uh, that Paul Boos put together. Yeah, that was my first time at an agile coach camp and I had done open space conferences before, and really, the open space conferences for me is, you know, that's where it's at. I prefer those much more than I do the larger conferences. And they, I always get a sense of camaraderie. But for some reason, at the Agile Coach Camp, I feel like there was even a stronger sense of camaraderie than at other open spaces I have been at. Yeah, it was interesting at the even at the closing circle when uh, Tim Ottinger stood up and said, "We are Groot." Right. That seemed to, to be the culmination of the experiences that we were all very focused on on meeting the needs of other people. It was really just an interesting experience because I've I've been to a number of other open spaces, but this one there was just such a a connection between people. And it was just really a lot of fun being able to to go between sessions, to to sit down with people off to the side and just have these really interesting conversations about agile topics, about life, about you know, a wide range of, of things. And at the end, I don't know about you, but my head just hurts. It's really a, the brain is full and it really takes me a few days to go over notes and kind of process all the lessons and the new friendships and the connections and uh, just a really great experience. Yeah, I, I always feel that way too at the end. I, I feel like renewed and energized, but I, yet at the same time, I feel drained and, and just destroyed. So I, I'm kind of the same way. I just I sort of need a couple of days to sort of process everything. But it's always a good feeling. Now, were there any sessions that really stood out to you? Were there any insights that you picked up that, that you'd like to share? I think my two favorite sessions were uh, one that Llewellyn Falco did on technical coaching or, or coaching a new team. He, he talked a lot, a lot about how to coach a, a, a team to mob programming for a team that's just getting started. And I've been doing mob programming for about three, three and a half years now. So it was really sort of interesting to 
to see someone else's perspective and to hear, you know, some of the suggestions that he had. And a lot of them are really good and even things, you know, that I didn't even think of, even though I've been doing it for a while. So I got a lot out of his session. And then Woody and I did a session on mob programming as well. And then the thing I liked about that session was, you know, when we first started talking about it three years ago, it was kind of a new thing. And, you know, people were asking lots of questions and they some people couldn't understand how it could work. And, and just since then, the number of people that have started trying it. So normally we would just stand up and talk, but it's, it's so many people are doing it now that we just sort of facilitate. We say a couple of things and then we ask, like, what is your experience? And now there's all these other people and all these other teams that have those shared experiences and that are seeing the same things that we saw when we started mob programming. So that was really special and I really enjoyed hearing those other stories from people that are mob programming. So what kind of tips did you pick up from Luo and Falco during that session that may be of interest? Because mob programming actually has been a pretty popular topic on the podcast. It's one that gets a lot of feedback. And, and I know that, uh, that he's, he's crazy smart. You know, just listening to him on, on some of these topics, uh, very insightful. It's really interesting to listen to, to his perspective, especially on uh, the mob pro- programming side. Was there anything specific that you picked up that uh, you think people would find interesting? I think probably the biggest thing that he said was, you know, just go slow. Just take small steps. And and I'm, I'm going to try and paraphrase and see if I can remember correctly kind of what he said. But it was something along the lines of, don't, don't be worried about what the team is going to do tomorrow or even the, this week. Take small steps so that they'll be able to do it in you know four weeks or three weeks you know or farther down the road sort of a go slow thinking about the big picture I think was what he was trying to get across at least that's what I took away from it so in your experience as part of the hunter mob are you maybe when bringing in a new person are you finding that that speed or that cadence is critical to their success or are are you also seeing you know similar experiences there um, when we when we we we've actually brought a few new people on. We we got a couple of interns that we had this summer, and we brought a new person on uh, about the same time we brought the interns on. So that we brought actually about three people on, and within about a, the same period of time. And so there's always a little bit of a bump when you bring new people in, but we don't really. I had never really thought about the speed. You know, we just sort of you know throw them to the wolves, and we sort of explain how it works. Usually, they already know how it works. They've seen it, and as part of the interview, they actually just sit there, and we make them mob with us. Um, so there's there's not really a, any set expectation, I think, for for how fast someone gets up to speed. Because mo- most of the people we see that start doing it, they're usually finding some way to com- contribute on day one. You know, it might be something small, like a if you're looking at code, like a missing semicolon or something like that, but. You know, people are pretty good about finding ways to start contributing right away. And then, you know, it only snowballs from there. So an insight from a previous episode, I think it was episode 12, or no, it was episode 11, where Woody Zool joined us and we talked a bit about mob programming. He dropped some insights on us that were things that I'd never thought of before. And it's really that to get good at mob programming, you have to become excellent at retrospectives. And it seems like, first of all, that makes total sense, although it's far from obvious. 
And and secondly, for a new person coming into a team, it's got to be difficult to be comfortable continually retrospecting with a new group of people. And to me, it would make sense that that going slow would also create an environment where that person could feel safe and start to build trust among other people to be able to retrospect openly, honestly, and quickly so that that mob can stay productive. Right. So we, we do retrospect quite a bit. And usually when we bring new people on, we'll do you know formal retrospectives, we'll do lean coffees. But then once we sort of, you know, we get into our norming, then we find that we don't really have to do formal retrospectives. They, they sort of just happen on the fly organically. You know, something will happen and, and someone will say, did you see what happened there or what do you think of that? And then it will just sort of, you know, naturally happen. We still we still do the the formal retrospectives, but you know it just sort of the, the retrospectives just sort of naturally happen. I, I I think that's my opinion. Yeah, I think that's important, especially in a mob setting. And it uh, it seems to be the the regular feedback from most people in the mobs that that those those naturally occurring retrospectives are are critical to success. And the, still, the formalized ones still help the overall progress of the team so it's it's interesting that you resonate those ideas as well and you know for me mob programming it's it's a lot more than just you know three or more people working together to me really mob programming is more about communication which i think is why the retrospectives are so important because you know sometimes it doesn't make sense to have your whole team you know five six eight people working on one thing and to me, mob programming is knowing when to have everyone there. If it's you know a super complex task and you need all the brains and all the eyes on it, but it's also knowing like, well, this is a super boring, mundane task. You know, we can break into you know four pairs and you know knock it out a lot quicker. Or you know, knowing when you know if you just need to do something by yourself, like oh, I can just step away by myself if it's like a learning session or some kind of personal development or things like that. So to me, it's more just about knowing when the right amount of people is appropriate and being able to communicate that. And so we're usually pretty good about that, you know, for working on something like, do we really need everyone working on this? Maybe we can go work on this other thing. And then you know, the team will come to a decision and we'll either stick with what we're doing or we'll break apart. Started off in a scrum environment, moved on to more of a mob programming environment. Wondering do you see mob programming and those kind of practices as the next step past Scrum, or does mob programming fit within a, a Scrum environment and framework? You know, I, I think it can go either way. I, I, I could see a, a team that started out with Scrum sort of, you know, once they've, they've gotten pretty good with Scrum, you know, gradu- graduating to mob programming. and Because w- once you start mob programming, a lot of the things that are part of Scrum sort of, I don't want to say they go away, but they they sort of just happen automatically. You know, if you're working together like that, you sort of eliminate the need to have a stand-up meeting. Everyone's kind of automatically on board with what's going on just from being co-located and working together. So I could see that happening, but I, I could also see you know a, a, a scrum team. You know, if they're if they're having success as a scrum team, then you know they could use mob programming as just a you know another tool. It just it just depends. I, I think Agile is kind of different for everyone. It's kind of what you make of it. 
And I, I, I could see it working both ways. There was a session that you did. It was about, was it like the business side of Agile or? Yeah, so it was the, uh, the business side of Agile. So what prompted you to, to give that talk? I run into a lot of, well, we're doing Agile because it's better, faster, cheaper. That was it. Yeah, better, faster, cheaper. That was the key words I was looking for. And it's a, it's a, a frustrating position for me because I, I don't agree with better, faster, cheaper. I don't, I don't think that is the, the mindset that you should take going into an Agile transformation. Uh, I think that there are aspects that are better. I think there are aspects that could be faster and aspects that could be cheaper, but I don't think those are the end goals. I mean, really, you're trying to, in my opinion, when you're doing an Agile transformation, you're trying to introduce quality up front. You're trying to create predictability and delivery, and you're trying to create a healthy, safe, and trusting environment for people to work in. And those are your three values and benefits. And then the faster, cheaper stuff can flow from getting those other three things right, but it's not the direct goal. And so what I really wanted to do with that talk was break down from the portfolio level all the way down to the task. You know, what does Agile bring to the plate? How does it enhance the process? How does it make things better? But not go into the better, pass, faster, cheaper paradigm. Trying to keep it at the quality, uh, the consistent delivery, and the trust and safety. And it actually turned into a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, Howard Sublett joined in. Uh, a number of other people started popping in and out of it. And what it turns out is there are a lot of things that support the the quality, predictability, and the safety aspects. And I think we all agreed at the end that that can then flow into uh, the better, faster, cheaper type of ideas. It Just an interesting, it started honestly with a frustration and it turned into some kind of coherent talk that I think resonated with a number of people. Yeah, I remember there were quite a few people that were, that were commenting on that session that were participating. And I think that's going to turn into some kind of blog post and maybe even find its way into some of the talks that I do. Because as I look at it, I think it's a gap. You know, we're, we're very good at, even, even in the no estimates area, we give some, some high-level guidance. We talk about you know, some of the reasons that we like no estimates. We go into some of the, the anecdotes and the stories, but it's not prescriptive. And then we talk about the Scrum fr- framework. We talk about you know, the, how the, the roles and the artifacts and the interactions work. But initially, it's not very prescriptive. But then when it comes to management and the business side, we are very prescriptive. We tell managers exactly what they should do, but we don't go into the why. And on the other hand, all for all the, the frameworks and the, and the practices on the Agile side, we're all about the why. And so it seems kind of reversed to me, almost as a gap. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I'm just trying to, to look at it from the why perspective. I need to be able to tell a, a director, a VP, uh, a senior leader, the why part of why they care about Agile or should care. And it can't just be because it's cool or because it's the new, th- the new shiny thing or because it makes people happier. I wish that those answers worked right? Then our jobs would be easy. But it really, we need to break it down into, well, here's the impact at your portfolio level. Here's the impact at your program level. Here's the impact at your project level. Here's the impact on your team. And here's the impact on the individual. And here's all the benefits that flow all the way back up to the bottom line and, and how we will measure and show you those benefits. 
And until that's laid out cleanly, I think we're going to continue to have difficult conversations at that C-level and executive level. Do you, do you think, I guess my question is, how do you think um, veteran agile practitioners view that? Because when I, when I first saw the topic, you know, I, I heard you saying that agile is not you know, better, faster, cheaper. Part of me thought, oh man, there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be happy that someone said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. There's a lot of people that are not happy with me for saying that out loud. But I, I do not believe it's better, faster, cheaper. I think it's different. And I think there are, there are benefits of doing an agile over some kind of waterfall command and control type delivery. Uh, but to just blanketly say better, faster, cheaper, I think is, is lying to people. And it's not, it's not giving an accurate uh, picture of what agile does for an organization, for teams, and for individuals. Yeah, that was the thing that stood out for me is when I when I saw that. That was my first thought was, oh boy, there's going to be people not happy about this. And my second <laughs> thought was, but it needed to be said. <laughs> yeah, I and and the only part of better, faster, cheaper that gives me pause is the better. Yes, I agree. My personal opinion is that it's better. But what does better mean in that context? For me, better means teams are gelled, teams are happier, teams are. Are, they feel they have a sense of safety. They have a sense of trust. There's transparency at play. There's there's all of these human factors going on that have been improved and turned to eleven. And so that to me is better. But are we? Does, is it a guarantee that that quality will go up? That delivery will be faster? That the, you know, all those things that could also mean better? Well, it's not a guarantee. I mean, those are things that we're trying to do. But for someone to blanketly say better, faster, cheaper, it just grates on me. Yeah, but it was a good talk. So there was a lot of good feedback, and at the initially there were some upset people, especially on the consulting side. Yeah, I know. You know, they do not want that message going out. They want to be able to say, "Well, no, we are better, faster, cheaper, and here's how we're going to save you X millions of dollars, and you can cut your headcount in half and still get the same output." Or, or hey, four hundred percent increase in productivity, or all these things that they talk about that I, I don't think it's the right pitch. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I did pick up on on some of the some people not being happy about the the topic. But I think at the end they understood the purpose of the topic, and I by the end most of those people were participating in. Well, if it's not better, faster, cheaper, then what are the benefits at these different levels, and how does how does that conversation go? And that was the encouraging part that that while the the initial shock was certainly present. By the end of the talk, or by the end of the session, I think a lot of people were on board and they were actively thinking about, well, yeah, these are the important areas to look at. These are the things we need to dig into, and 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 how can we make that uh, that look better? So I, that was the encouraging part that it seemed to at least resonate a bit, and even some of the initially upset people were on board towards the end. Yeah, that that kind of surprised me actually because I thought I thought, wow, this is getting a little heated. But then it actually turned in, like you said, it turned into a, a very productive discussion and there was a lot of good things said. I had to make a conscious decision not to argue and just really sit back and listen. And that was, for me, that's hard because I my instinct is to throw back uh, my opinion and try to go at it you know, head on. And, and for that discussion, I really needed to sit back, let people talk, let people vent, and just all I did was facilitate. Yeah, you were holding the space for sure. And so that, and that part, I felt 
some personal growth, just facilitating that session, you know, being able to hold the space, just taking notes, just writing up on that, on that board, throwing in a few questions when, when things weren't clear. And so I was, I was pleased with how it went. I think a lot of people were happy with it. I got a lot of comments afterwards and some nice tweets and, and even people who were upset were appreciative and, and, uh, shaking my hand at the end. And so I think that one was definitely a win. Yeah, that was a good session. I like that session. And there are so many fantastic sessions. And I appreciate you highlighting mine. I, um, I owe you five bucks at the end of this, I guess. But uh, it, was, it was nice to, that, uh, that even you noticed that, that hey, it, it was a good session. So I really appreciate you bringing that forward. The session that I really enjoyed really was not an Agile session. Uh, per se, it was uh, telling stories with Woody Zool. And so really it was working on how you tell a story and what the stories mean to people and the lessons that can be pulled from any story. And it was just a fun hour of getting to tell stories with strangers. You know, I, I know Woody from you know some of these podcasts and online activities, but s- some of the other participants certainly didn't know. And we're just, what surprised me and this is why I love Coach Camp, is some of the, the very personal stories that people were telling. And these are the very personal details and, and really getting into some heavy, heavy topics about whether it was childhood abuse or, or something, you know, very deep and along those lines. And I think it was really a result of the, the level of safety and trust that that group creates at Coach Camp. And so the ability to tell those kind of stories the ability to, as a group, you know, have empathy towards those people and be able to discuss and support and, you know, even tears were shed. But throughout that whole session, it was just the power and beauty of storytelling. And Woody is just a master of it. And so to have him craft some stories and to, to tell them in, in his special way, it was, it was just a really fun talk that, that really just highlighted the, the human element of that conference and just a lot of fun. Yeah, Woody Woody has so many fantastic stories and the moment that I think I've heard them all, he he's got a new one every time. So yeah, he's he's got some good stories and some great stuff to share. It it's just it's my favorite conference, hands down. I love going to Coach Camp. I love the environment, the idea of open space versus a traditional conference. I it's open space for me hands down. It went incredibly well. I think everybody walked away from the from the second day just very pleased and drained and and fulfilled and you know all these different feelings and emotions and just a a wonderful experience. Yeah, this is, actually, this is probably my my favorite moment, and I I can't believe I forgot it. And this really meant a lot to me. And I think I might have talked about it in the closing circle, but when we we're talking about mob programming. Um, Diana Larson was there and she was talking to Woody and she said, Woody, can you share the story about the little girl? And I didn't know exactly what she was talking about. And he said, oh, sure. He said, we were at Agile 2013. I think it was uh, the big conference in 2013. And he said, we were doing a sort of an impromptu mob programming session so people could see kind of what it looked like. And he said, and and, uh, Aaron's daughter was there, Skylar. And she was there, and she was just sort of tagging along with me. I brought my family to the conference, and it was sort of an after-hours thing. And she wanted to come, so she sort of hung around for a little bit, but she didn't really want to participate. But then she jumped in and started participating. And so Woody was trying to illustrate that, you know, even a child, she was eight at the time, can get into it and can understand it and and be productive in, in a mob. 
and just that you know here we are you know almost two years later and that someone remembered that story and and then I was talking about it and Llewellyn's like oh yeah I have a picture and he got his phone out and he showed me a picture from the session and then there my daughter was and like that was like that was really great for me that you know that because my daughter was involved and this mob programming thing that we started doing and that we really didn't even know what it was at the time sort of was kind of taken off. So that's probably my, my favorite coach camp story. It really is a different type of community, isn't it? It is. It is. And, I mean, it's, and that's why I like the, the open space uh, conferences. We're, just a, we're a collection of strangers, but we're all the closest of friends within a few minutes of that that opening circle opening up and and the conference starting it really is just i would never have understood it if you had tried to explain it to me prior to going to one and it once you're in the middle of one and you see just everyone just gels so quickly and it's just that that open loving caring environment full of empathy and support it's just it's the neatest thing to see come together yeah, I'm not surprised that they remember your daughter and someone had a picture and, and that it touched somebody because it's just a truly human moment. And that group especially uh, embraces those fully. It's really just a wonderful conference. Uh, Paul Boost did a great job putting it together. I think Andrea Chu uh, had a hand in it as well, along with a number of other great volunteers. And I, I just, every time I leave coach camp, I th- I'm just thinking, wow, how long till the next one? Yeah. I mean, it was it wasn't really on my radar prior to this year, but now now it is, and I'm going to try and uh, make it a priority. So, Aaron, at this point of the podcast, we have a new segment. You're going to be the first participant. All right, this is pretty exciting. So, our a good friend of the show, Victor Benashi, uh, the host of uh, Agile Coffee. Yes, he was on a few episodes ago. Does a great podcast over at Agile Coffee. It's really a a podcast version of Lean Coffee, which is a process of talking about Agile with uh, topics that people come up with. Basically, you put a time box around that discussion. You you go through a number of topics and thumbs up, thumbs down to continue. If you thumbs up, you keep talking about the topic. Thumbs down, you move on. Just a great process to uh, share knowledge, right? So to to go out and share the things that you know. Well, Victor has created a a new product. So he has a deck of lean, uh, lean coffee cards. And so these are topics. These are conversation starters for teams new to lean coffee. They're trying to get started. I love this product. It's a high quality deck of cards, nice case. You know, right now it's in, in a Kickstarter. And so we'll have a link to the Kickstarter in the, in the notes. But what I thought we'd start doing on the show is let's pick a card uh, from volume one of his lean coffee deck and let's just talk about a topic for a few minutes sound good yeah yeah let's do it all right so this is from agilecoachingcards.com this is a topic that is on one of the volume one decks it's dealing with naysayers bullies and bad eggs perhaps you've had to deal with a naysayer or a bully in an agile context or on a on a scrum team and, and how did you deal with it what did it look like and and perhaps how did that play out uh, i was on a team it wasn't actually my team. It was a different team. And uh, the scrum master actually got into a, a physical altercation with one of the members of his team where, where there was, like, pushing and shoving. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, it was it was bad. And 
it, you know, it was outside my team, so I just sort of heard about it. So I, I didn't, I didn't really have to deal with it. You know, outside of saying, well, you know, that was that was kind of messed up, and but they they didn't fire the guy. <laughs> so that's, this is sort of, I guess, an example of what not to do. But you know, the this guy was a scrum master, and he had a sort of very authoritative style. And to the point where he was, you know, uh, micromanaging, looking over people's shoulders constantly, you know, the physical pushing, and he was there for another two years. <laughs> so yeah, so that sounds incredibly toxic. Yes, yes, it was. And but I don't know that. I guess that's that's probably like I said, how you don't deal with a bully, a naysayer, or a naysayer. Yeah, so I actually I've I've struggled with bullies and naysayers both online and on scrum teams. You know, online I give way too much benefit of the doubt, and so I will continually re-engage and and try to have reasonable conversations and continually fail at it because sometimes bullies and naysayers aren't reasonable, and so I I've, that's a lesson I've I've struggled with uh, for a number of years. I'm recently getting much better at it after having a few goes with. Uh, with bullies and naysayers, but from a, and you can, you have to expect that online, right? There, there's no shortage of, of trolls and, and people looking to pick fights online and, and learning how to deal with that is an important part of this new socially connected world. As far as on a scrum team, we, I have had situations where the dominant cowboy coder or, or the dominant programmer really tries to imply or to impose their will on design, on infrastructure, on coding standards and, and other things. And really as a scrum master, trying to unravel that by uh, explicitly seeking input from other people. And so facilitating and even holding space uh, for other people to speak, having one-on-one -on -one conversations with such naysayers and bullies on, on agile teams. And what, what's really interesting in that context is that they typically don't realize they're doing it. It's not a it's not a behavior that that they're seeing as either bullying or being a naysayer. It's really they're trying to do good things, and it's typically benevolent. So that that's been an interesting kind of observation uh, from that particular anti pattern is that they're typically just trying to do good things for the company and for the team, not realizing the impact and damage that it can have on their teammates. And so. Certainly a common problem, especially on new scrum teams, trying to figure out the new normal. But like I said, what I found is that explicitly seeking feedback of others, trying to hold space for other people to speak, uh, engaging with these, with these people to really find out what they're after, what their needs and, and wants are, and trying to get those fulfilled in a way that doesn't inflict help and damage all over the team uh, has been somewhat successful. Yeah, I, I agree with the the part about uh, explicitly seeking the feedback, and I've I've employed that a couple of times myself, and and, and I, I agree with you. I think most of the time people have the best intentions. It just sometimes doesn't come out right, and I I see I see that where there's maybe it's just a difference in personality. You have someone who's a quieter, maybe more introverted, and you know a very loud extroverted person. And I'll do the same thing. I'll just, I'll just to the, I'll say it loudly enough to the quiet person. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. You know, or just, just say something to let everyone know that you know I want to hear what this person has to say. And, and that does seem to work. It really comes down to safety and trust when interacting with teammates too. 
And so perhaps one person has taken a dominating role. It's created an unsafe environment for others to speak and really just trying to reestablish those boundaries too. And it's, it's tough to unravel, but critically important for scrum masters and I think it's an excellent topic. I'm glad that, that Victor included this topic in his deck. And if you visit agilecoachingcards.com, you can find that topic and many more just like it available at his Kickstarter page. I don't know, Aaron, I think it's a neat product. And I, I like the idea of kicking off conversations like that. And I hope, uh, I hope Victor does incredibly well with this. There's no affiliation or association with the podcast or with me with this product. It's really just I, I think it's a great thing and, and it can kick off a lot of good conversations. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out. So I think we've hit our time box, Aaron. It's been I've enjoyed this. I we got to speak a little bit in DC, but we've never actually had to, the opportunity other than some going 50 tweets deep. It's way too late into the evening, but other than that, I haven't had the chance to really have this kind of conversation with you. So I'm glad we did it. I'm looking forward to the next one already. This is the moment where we do our plugs and and other things that we want to highlight and and link out for the listeners. So We'll start with you. What do you have coming up? Any speaking engagements? Any anything that you've read recently that you want to share with the listeners? And and after that, how can they get a hold of you to continue the conversation with you if they so desire? Yeah, so I will be speaking uh, at probably at Agile Open SoCal, which is September 10th and 11th. That's in Irvine. It's an open space conference, which again I highly recommend. It's my favorite type of conference. I mean, also, I'll be giving the Star Wars talk at Agile Testing Days in Potsdam, Germany, uh, November 9th through 12th is that conference. And that's, that's pretty much what I've got going on for the, the rest of the year. You can reach me at Aaron underscore Griffith on Twitter. And um, one other thing, the, the Hunter Mob will probably be scaling in the next month or so, so I'll... I'll have a link for the show notes where you can find out more information about that if you're interested in the Hunter Mob. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Agile for Humans, but we'd like to keep the conversation going. Do you have a question you'd like answered on a future episode or a comment about something we discussed tonight? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Visit AgileAnswerMan.com and click on Ask a Question to send us an email or to record a message that could end up on the show. You can also reach out on Twitter at Ryan Ripley or in the comment sections of this blog post. That's it for tonight. Thank you for listening, and have a great evening. Star Wars! Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.